everybody happy Sunday how y'all doing all right 20 people are doing good yes all right great anyone hearing birds seeing the Sun out there this morning that's pretty nice right yeah claps for that right for sure I woke up this morning and I have a froggy throat today and I'm thinking it's just a sign of spring it's a good thing it's a good thing so as we worship today you can uh, lend your voice to me that would be helpful um, as we just get started, I got a psalm for us. This one came to my mind this morning as I was thinking about our worship set, and I want to just share this with us. So this comes from Psalm 103. It says this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father 
has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. I love that. Like God loves us, and he separated our sins so far from us that they no longer have any effect, right? Jesus has done that for us. That's the good news. Um, let's stand together. Let's greet each other. And if you need a question of the day, where are you going on spring break if you're going somewhere? That was a really good question this morning because it's like excitement all through the room <laughs> to be able to talk about warm weather hopefully coming for a lot of people. So take that excitement and let's continue to worship this morning.
are so grateful for all of the blessings that you give to us. We're so grateful to be able to hear your flawless words. Take this service and make it yours. We love you, Father. Amen. We would like to go ahead, go ahead and be seated. We're going to take a moment and reflect as we watch the next installment of the story. Because of what Jesus said and did, people wondered who Jesus was. His followers said to him, some people say you are John the Baptist, come back to life. Some say you are Elijah or one of the other prophets. What about you, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Jesus' follower Peter spoke up, you are the Messiah. But Jesus told them not to tell anyone yet. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and two of the other disciples, James and John, high up on a mountain. When they got to the top, Jesus' appearance suddenly changed. His face shined like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Two men appeared next to him. They were Moses and Elijah. Then a voice came from the clouds, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. The disciples fell down terrified. When they got up and opened their eyes, only Jesus remained. From there, Jesus and his followers traveled to Jerusalem for a huge festival. Jesus went to the temple to share some of his thoughts with the crowd. There, the religious leaders became very angry at what Jesus was teaching. They knew he was claiming that he was the Messiah, the king they'd been waiting for. Enraged, they picked up stones to kill Jesus, but he managed to escape. After leaving Jerusalem, Jesus continued to teach and perform miracles. He heard that one of his good friends, Lazarus, was sick. So Jesus and the disciples traveled to where he lived. When they arrived, they discovered that Lazarus had been dead for four days. Jesus went to the tomb where Lazarus was buried, had the stone rolled away, and raised him from the dead. Soon it was time to go back again to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Two of his followers brought Jesus a meal to ride on as he came into the city. When he did, huge crowds gathered along the streets, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowds loved Jesus but it didn't take long before he began clashing with the religious leaders again. He exposed their corruption and threatened their authority. So the leaders began devising a plan to get Jesus arrested. They met with Judas, one of Jesus's followers, who agreed to turn Jesus in to the authorities in exchange for some money. Then the religious leaders waited for the right opportunity to arrest him. Children, preschool through fifth grade up. Okay, let's fold our hands and bow our heads and pray. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us all here together today. Thank you for the glimpses of sunshine and spring outside. Help us to have a wonderful day here at church and with our families. Amen. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. My name, for those of you who don't know me, is Corey Plockmeyer. I'm the executive director of Movement West Michigan. 
I'm an ordained pastor in the Christian Reformed Church. Actually, Hardwick holds my ordination credentials. It's an honor to be with you here preaching, opening God's Word for you. But first, I want to share a really exciting ministry opportunity that Hardwick is participating in, and it's near and dear to my heart because it's a project that I've been working on for the last couple of months. So it starts with a reality that many of us know, and that is that teachers are burning out left, right, and center. Working in education is hard. And there's a narrative right now that teachers are under fire, and when we're honest about it, a lot of those critical voices wrap up their criticism in language of faith. And so, myself and a couple pastors got together and we said, what could we do about this? How can we be part of telling a better story that our churches love our school workers? And so Hardawike is one of 34 local churches making sure that every single school building in the Holland-Zealand area, that's Holland Public, West Ottawa, Zealand, Hamilton, Saugatuck, Holland Christian, Black River, Vanderbilt, uh, Eagle Crest, every single school building is getting a care package for the teachers and staff of that school from one of 34 local churches. Because we said we want to tell a better story that our churches love our schools, our teachers, and our school staff. And so Hardawike is participating in that. Hardawike, we are showing our love and care to Lakeshore Elementary and to Harbor Lights Middle School because we already have a relationship with those two schools through Kids Hope. And so this is an opportunity for those of us who worship here at Hardawike to say we want to be part of telling that better story. So there are three ways that we can participate in that. Number one, we want to make sure that we are buying food, a meal, for the staff of those schools. And so if you want to participate in that, you can go to Anna's house, buy gift cards, uh, deliver them to the church office, and just put a note on there that it's for teacher appreciation. Uh, second option, you can bring a cash or check donation uh, in the, to the teacher appreciation fund. Uh, and third, you can do that also on the Heart Awake website. The cool thing about this is, is that each one of these 34 churches is receiving sort of a basic kit to build off from. And so it's going to be a way to buy meals for the teachers. It's going to be a way to uh, restock the teacher's lounge, make sure that we can come alongside of the schools and say, how can we help you? And how can we show you that we love your teachers? So this is just a really awesome way to be part of something that is happening across the Holland Zealand area. So I hope you will uh, think about participating in that project uh, with us. And it's just a real honor for me that I get to be here and preach this morning and talk about the thing that has consumed all of my time for the last couple of months. Uh, so thrilled to be with you here this morning to look together at the Gospel of John and to carry on uh, the series that we have been walking through here at Hardawike of how each of the Gospels looks uniquely at the person of Jesus. But before we dive into our text and our sermon this morning, I want to just spend a moment going before God in prayer together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you have revealed yourself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And that changes everything about our lives. And so, God, as we take time this morning to reflect, to listen, and to hear your word, pray that you would give us open eyes to see what you would have us see. Give us open ears to hear what you would have us hear. Give us open minds to know what you would have us know. But most of all, give us God, God, give us open hearts to love as you would have us love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So in 2009, I met someone really important. That is, I met my wife, Lauren. Now, our full story is, you know, longer than I'll share right now, but let me just put it this way. After dating for about six weeks, I proposed.
She said yes. Uh, there's something really intimidating about talking to your future father-in-law after only dating for four weeks and saying, hey, I think I'm going to propose to your daughter. He was cool about it. But the reality was that when I met my wife, there was something that I knew immediately that my life had been utterly and absolutely transformed by meeting this person. Meeting Lauren changed everything about my life. And the reality was that because of that sense that I just knew that God had brought her into my life, understandably, it had dramatic impacts on how I lived every single day. Nothing about my life was the same from the time that I met her. See, I think we all have those moments when we come face to face with the reality of the ways that life has been transformed. Right? Sometimes we know it. Sometimes something happens that's just so big and so impactful. This person that we meet that we know is changing everything. This, this event that happens in our life that we know we will never be the same. But sometimes it's a lot more subtle. Sometimes we look back and we realize that our whole life has been transformed and we didn't even know it. And sometimes we get those glimpses that our life is tapped into something bigger, into something more cosmic, into something that is changing absolutely everything. And maybe it's that gorgeous sunset over Lake Michigan. Anybody make it far enough north to catch the northern lights this week? I saw a photo this morning on the news from Gaylord, Michigan. It was gorgeous. Right? These moments where you just see the beauty and the wonder and the awe, and we know, we just know that there's something beyond what we can make sense of. And what does that mean for how we live? So we're walking through the four Gospels and how each one tells just a little bit different of a story of who Jesus is. And Pastor Aaron had this uh, picture that he's been using, right, to describe the different uh, Gospels and, as pizza, right? How we have different slices of the pizza, different flavors, different, all the same, all still pizza, but just different approaches, right? Matthew, that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Mark, Jesus is the suffering servant. And Luke, Jesus is for lost people. And Aaron pointed out that this last one, John, that it kind of just doesn't look like the same type of pizza, right? A couple weeks ago, he called it the flatbread gospel. I like that idea because there's something just a little different about John. You see, and we see that as soon as we get into the Gospel of John. John 1 verse 1 begins in this much bigger scope, in the beginning. Right? John sets his Gospel in the, in the span of all of history. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It begins us with this sense that we are talking about an entirely different scale and scope when we read John's gospel. And we see that in the most famous verse of perhaps of all of Scripture, right? John 3, 16, that, that so beautifully lays out what we might call the heart of the gospel, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And the word there for world in Greek is cosmos, the universe, the entirety of creation. For God so loved everything that he gave his one and only son. You see, when we are looking at the gospel of John, John sets this story in a universal scope. John sets this story in the grandest picture that we can imagine. That is that in the gospel of John, we see that Jesus is fixing everything and we get to join him. So I want to jump forward 
as we keep that in the backdrop, that Jesus is fixing everything and we get to join him. We're going to look together at John chapter 15. We're going to walk through verses 1 through 17 of John 15 and see what that means in reality. So in John chapter 15, we read these words, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So John chapter 15 takes place in the middle of what we might call the upper room discourse. See, at the end of the Gospel of John, right before Jesus is arrested, we have this series of conversations that all happen in the upper room, right? Where Jesus goes to celebrate the Passover with his disciples, And it's this massive section of the Gospel of John that all happens on one night, right? Four chapters, four full chapters of the Gospel of John, almost like about a sixth of the Gospel of John takes place on one night, one series of conversations. And at the very center of it is this chapter, And the really cool thing is that if we were to look at the entirety of John chapters 13 through 17, we would see what we, in in literature, we call a chiasm. It comes from the Greek word chi, which means cross, looks like an X. And basically, it's a literary device that you mirror what happens at the beginning and the end, right? So you say something at the beginning, and you end with it. You say something else, and then right before is that same thing mirrored, right? You can see it sort of there if you look on the left, A, B, C, D, E, F, E, D, C, B, A. All of this, right? So the core of the Gospel of John, all of these things that are said on one night between Jesus and his disciples, one night, they all have this structure. And when you have this device called a chiasm, the point is the center, right? What you put at the middle is where everything points to. It's like saying, it's like underlining using a highlighter, right? They didn't have highlighters when the Bible was written. They didn't have the the, the yellow highlighters to say, hey, pay attention to this. What they did have was they had literary devices like a chiasm to say, hey, pay attention to this. And so here we have on this most important night, perhaps one of the most important nights of Jesus' life, that takes up a a huge portion of the Gospel of John. We have this one long conversation that all points to John chapter 15. In other words, what we see is that the center of the center is union with Christ being in Christ. So we have, in the Gospel of John, we have this cosmic scope. Jesus is the one who is fixing everything. And the center of this very long conversation on the last night of Jesus' life, when he is making sure that his disciples hear the things that they need to hear, the thing that he seems to want them to know the most, that he wants them to pay attention to the most, the center of the center is that the point is being united with Christ. Now, I think this is a lot harder than we tend to give it credit for. We are talking about something mystical, something mysterious, something spiritual when we talk about union with Christ. It's not logical. You don't manufacture union with Christ. 
It's not how it works. And we know that because Jesus uses this image, this example of vines and plants. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever successfully forced a plant to grow bigger? It doesn't happen. That's not how it works. Right? At best, we can do things to make sure that the soil is healthy. We can do things to make sure that the conditions around the plant are as good as they can be. But the simple reality is we don't make plants do anything. They just do and exist. And Jesus uses this imagery of the vine and the branches to say, that's what your relationship with me is like. It's not something you manufacture. It's not something you create. It's not something that you work your way towards. It's mysterious. It's mystical. It's spiritual. But that's the heart of it all. The God of the universe who is fixing everything, says, I want you to be united, be in union with me. And by the way, Jesus says there's two options. You can bear fruit or you can be pruned. You can bear fruit or you can be pruned. Now, pruning hurts. It really does. But the healthy things, notice here in verses 1 through 4, the healthy plants, those that are united with Christ, those that are, have union with Christ, those are the ones that are going to be pruned. At the end of 2020, it was a bit of a rough season there. Anybody remember 2020? Right, there, was, there was nothing hard about that time. Everybody at every church was totally happy, totally content, right? No pastors were getting yelled at by congregants for saying things that they didn't like, right? That didn't happen anywhere. Well, I was pastoring a church at that time. I'm not going to lie, it was tense. It was rough. It's a different story. I won't share the rest of that today. But there was this woman in our congregation. Her name was Lois. And Lois, on a handful of she was a sweet, sweet woman, on a handful of occasions, Lois would call me and say, Corey, I have a word for you. Lois was so deeply in tune with the Holy Spirit. And when Lois called me and said, Corey, I have a word for you, I always knew it was going to be something that I needed to pay attention to. And in the end of 2020, Lois called me and said, Corey, I have a word for you. This is a season of pruning. Not what I wanted to hear. It hurt. I'm in church, I'm going to say it anyway. It sucked. Sometimes being united with Christ is hard. Sometimes it means that that union with Christ, that relationship, that mystical, mysterious, spiritual union with Christ, being in tune with Christ is going to mean that our life is going to go through a season that we never wanted to go through. It might mean that we are going to walk a path that will hurt. And sometimes I think we have this idea that being followers of Jesus Christ means that our life should always be great and that if something's going wrong, that it's an evidence that we're doing something wrong. No! In fact, the, the, the evidence of Scripture is that if we are following Jesus Christ, we should expect to get pruned. If we are united with Christ, we should expect to go through challenges. If we are truly united with Jesus Christ, we should expect to face challenges. Because healthy things grow. And sometimes we need to be pruned so that we have the energy we need. So that we are tapped all the more deeply into the vine that is Jesus Christ, so that we can more effectively do that which we are called to do and bear fruit. Verses 5 through 7 I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. In other words, friends, when we are united with Christ, when we, have, when we are experiencing this mystical, this mysterious, this spiritual union with Christ, with the one who is fixing everything, the result of the union should be fruit. People sometimes ask me, how did you get into this work with Movement West Michigan? It is, I'm not going to, it is one of the weirdest jobs I ever could have imagined. You ask my kids what I do, and my daughter's going to tell you, I don't know, he has coffee with a lot of people. Yeah, that's a fair description. I spent about a year trying to describe what it is that we do, and that is we try to help the Capital C Church of Holland and Zealand work together for the flourishing of all in our community. And that does mean a lot of times I'm making connections. It means that I'm setting tables. It means that I'm making sure that the right people are in the right room at the right time so that we can work together for flourishing. It means sometimes that I am reaching out to 34 different churches, or a lot more because not everybody responded to me, in order to say, hey, we have this idea and this project that we think we should do together because we think it is a witness that when we can do things in a unified way, that it says something about who Jesus is. People always ask me, though, Corey, how did you get into this work? And as I thought about that and as I reflected on it, I finally came to the conclusion that the reason I am doing what I am doing is because I was sick and tired of watching my friends give up on Jesus because what they saw out of the church was a church that didn't care. Let me say that again. I was sick and tired of watching my friends walk away from Jesus because what they saw out of the church was a church that didn't care. When I was thinking about this role, this opportunity to serve at Movement West Michigan, was having a conversation with one, who, one of my friends who's on the board, and he said, if Movement West Michigan is doing what it's supposed to do, we are going to see the church in Holland and Zealand show up in a way and at a level in the community that it's not right now. And I said, that is something I want to be a part of. Because the result of the union is fruit. Healthy things grow. But there's a temptation in the church to measure growth by a certain set of metrics, things like butts, budgets, and buildings. Right? That's how we tend to know if a church is healthy, how we think we know a church is healthy, because they've got lots of people. They've got massive buildings. They've got lots of money. But that's not what the picture that Jesus gives us here in John 15. In John 15, he says that, Jesus says that the result of union is fruit. We should be asking questions like, are the hungry being fed? We should be asking questions like, are we as a church known for who we include, not who we exclude? We should be asking questions like, are we known for being people of forgiveness and healing and reconciliation? We should be asking questions like, are we known as a place that's going to love and embrace you and support you and encourage you? That is the fruit that we see when we look at the whole of the Gospel of John and, frankly, all four of the Gospels. Because ultimately, the measure is love. Jesus says, As my Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Right? Love each other as I have loved you. Remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Right? Think about what we said about what the entirety of the Gospel of John is about. That John paints us a picture of Jesus being the one who is fixing everything. 
And here we see that at the heart of union with Christ is being loved by that one who is fixing everything. It's the profoundly simple core of the gospel. That Jesus emptied himself completely and absolutely in order to have union with us. And there is nothing on heaven or on earth that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That the heart of it all, the center of the gospel, the center of what the gospel of John is about, is that you are loved by the one who fixes everything. And there is nothing you have to do to earn that or deserve that. You don't have to have your life together. You don't have to make a lot of money. You don't have to have your kids in the right schools. You don't have to have your, ki- have your life all following the simple rules. You don't have to be the family that everybody looks at and goes, oh, wow, they're a really great family. You don't have to do any of that. Jesus loves you for who you are, as you are. That is the heart of the gospel. And somehow I'm so passionate about this because somehow I spent the first 20 plus years of my life going to church every Sunday and I missed that. I was raised in a loving Christian home. I went to Christian schools. I went to church usually twice on Sunday and somehow I missed the heart of the gospel. And I spent the better first 20 plus years of my life trying to earn God's love and figuring if I just worked hard enough, if I was that person who followed all the rules, if I was that person who did the right things, if I was that person who other people would say, oh, Corey Plockmeyer, he's a nice boy, that that was what I needed. And I missed it. Friends, Jesus loves you as you are. You don't manufacture that. You don't create that. You just exist in it. And you are connected, united with the vine that is Jesus. about union with the God of the universe who broke down all the barriers to have a relationship with us. This this changes everything. But the center of the center says it doesn't stop there. Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. Love each other. In other words, the fruit, the fruit is is love. We should be marked by and known for the love we have for each other. That's the heart of it all. Loving each other is hard. We don't all agree. We don't always see eye to eye. We have different ideas of what we should emphasize, where we should go, all of the things, right? It's understandable. But can we be known in the midst of disagreement as people of love? Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. So the Gospel of John, the unique picture that John gives us is that Jesus is the one who fixes everything and invites us to be a part of it by living lives that are transformed by love. 
we get this glimpse of the cosmic background, the universal story of what God is doing in and through the person of Jesus. We have this mystical, mysterious, spiritual union with Jesus Christ that we don't manufacture or create, but we just experience it because God loves us and wants us to be in relationship with him. And because of that, this changes everything, and we live lives completely transformed by love. And that should spill out into the way that we interact with the community. And one of the things that I think it's really important that we wrestle with as churches and as followers of Jesus Christ is that we would be known for our ultimate motives, not our ulterior motives. You see, sometimes I've seen this where the church, the capital C church, says we want to love people so that. Fill in the blank. We'll give you these things so that you'll come to church. And inevitably, I, we end up seeing people ask questions like, hey, we're doing this thing, but I haven't seen any more people coming to church, so was it really worth it? Right? We, we keep giving food away, but they're not coming to church, so was it worth it? Because a lot of times we act with ulterior motives. We say, we're going to love with the ulterior motive, we're going to love you so that you come to church, so that you give your money, so that you do the things, so that you check the box. Ultimate versus ulterior motives. What does it look like to function with an ultimate motive? Of love. And let God do what God is going to do. Because we don't manufacture that growth. We don't create that growth. God does. And instead, we want to be measured and known for love. Those ulterior motives lead us to motives like those butts, budgets, and buildings. But what if instead we are measured by love? This picture, and I'm going to wrap up with this, this picture is something that I use to guide my work every single day. To me, this is the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. We three see around the edge the three greats. The Great Commission, go and make disciples, right? We need everybody to know this good news that Jesus loves them, that Jesus loves you for who you are. The Great Commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The Great Compassion of Matthew 25, right? To go and feed the hungry and serve those in need and give water to the thirsty. And I love to see at the middle of that John chapter 17 what I'm going to call the Great Collaboration where Jesus prays that we would be one, that his followers would be one, known for our love of each other. I spend my days trying to make that center get bigger. That's what I get to do every day, and I love it. But friends, when I look at this picture, I see the picture of what each and every one of us is called to do as followers of Jesus Christ, as those who have been transformed by the one who fixes everything, measured by and known for love. Friends, please pray with me. God, we know that you are fixing everything, and we give you thanks and praise for that, that, that we don't have to manufacture, that we don't have to create that, but, but we just pray that you would help us to be in union with you and offer our lives completely and absolutely transformed by your love. Offer them to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to stand together and sing this song of response. It's an opportunity for us to say, if we're going to be known by love, we have to love God back. Scripture says that he loved us first while we were still sinners, and we get to respond to him. So let's sing this together.
Indeed, friends, go forth from this place with God's blessing. May God go before you to guide you. May God go beside you to befriend you. 
May God go beneath you to support you and behind you to protect you. Do not fear the one who is fixing everything, loves you, embraces you, and calls you his own and invites you to be a part of it. Do not be afraid. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And if you have a moment before you go, stack a couple of chairs on your way out. (laughs) 